Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I'll stand. Hello and welcome to Chowchilla Church of Christ podcast. We are delighted to have you join us in the study of the book of Revelation today. We are going to be overviewing the book of Revelation. We have not gotten into the actual book itself because we wanted to give some backdrop, some background, and some history. As we are preparing to do so, would you be so kind to join us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you that this book, though it is chronologically the last book in the Bible, many of the events have taken place long before the Bible was written. Some of them are taking place now, and some of them were taking place while the scriptures were being inspired and then written. Will you guide us today? because we need your direction so we can understand this book better, not so we can have heads that are filled with knowledge, but we will be able to apply these things to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. We are overviewing the book of Revelation, and we wanna start with, of course, reading the scripture particularly verse 1 in chapter 1, Revelation is the unveiling. It is the opening up. It is the disclosing of what God wanted Christ to give to his servants and then to the apostle John of the things that must shortly come to pass. If you remember last week, we were talking about how that particular phrase in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he's not talking about some 2,000 years later, but the events and the circumstances and the scenarios that were taking place then. We understand that one of the major events historically that was going on was called persecution. We understand also that from a historical standpoint, individuals like Kenneth Scott Latouret, a French historian who writes a book on Church of Christ history, F.W. Maddox in his book, The Eternal Kingdom, who also writes and addendums the Church of Christ history these two works, they will agree that the persecution of the Christians is premier and primary taking place in the book of Revelation in the providence of Asia Minor. As John writes to these seven churches of Christ, 
which are there in Asia Minor from the island of Patmos. John, the apostle, is banded there. He's banned there because he himself realizes that the Holy Spirit, God, through Christ, has placed him in the position where he is the right and remind the Christians over and over again that though they're going through a hard time, a rough time, a difficult time, a time of persecution, that they're going to be victors. This starts happening from the vantage point of the scripture we have in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, where the apostle Paul writes, yes, all that will live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. These saints in Asia Minor are really going under it. They are really having a hard time. They are really struggling for their lives. Many of them have already been killed. Many of them were struggling, trying to survive and stay alive. They were under the obsesses. They were under the persecution of a crazy, wild, savage, brutal emperor who by the time we get to Revelation chapter 13, John would describe as a beast. His character is brutal. His character is beastly, animalistic, wild, and savage. Though John does not give the name, he does describe his character. We ask the question, what good would the book of Revelation do for the Christians who are suffering so severely, so atrociously, more than 2,000 years ago to know that someone today would have a liquid chip in their palm or in their forehead or in their body. There is no correlation. There is no relation. There is no relevance for that. The book of Revelation is written according to the inspiration of the scriptures that we have right now before us in verse 1, chapter 1. These things must shortly come to pass. May we tell you there were primarily four reasons, many more, but at least four reasons why the Roman government was persecuting the Christians. For political reasons, the Christians uh, took no part in the Parthian worship of many gods, the pagan worship and the Parthian worship of the Roman gods and the polytheistic worship of the Roman gods was not what Christians were going to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says, Well, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. We're going to see as we comb through and down through the text in chapter 1 that Jesus by John and John by Jesus is going to declare him as the only true God of the saints. But not only for political reasons, the Christians were regarded as atheists, for they worshiped the invisible God. Interesting how the Roman government regarded the Christians as atheists, when in reality, they were atheists. They didn't believe in God. They didn't believe at least in the one true God of the Bible. But not only for political reasons did Rome persecute Christians, the Church of Christ, for economical purposes, no money or sacrifices were forthcoming from the believers to the Roman idols. The Christians would not support monetarily. They would not monetize the Roman practices of worshiping idol gods. But not only for political purposes and economical purposes, 
for moral purposes. Christians were often looked upon as cannibals, for it was supposed that they secretly ate the flesh and drank the blood of their religious founder, Jesus Christ. And misconception, misinterpretation, misunderstanding based upon the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 23 to 28, where Paul the apostle talks about eating and drinking the Lord's Supper. He is not talking about literally eating the flesh of the Lord and drinking literally the blood of the Lord. He's talking about it being a representation of Jesus's suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven and then coming back again. Last but not least, the reason Rome persecuted Christians in the Church of Christ. Political purposes, economical purposes, moral purposes, and believe it or not, as a scapegoat purpose. Nero attempted to blame various state problems on Christians living in Rome. Before the book of Revelation, historians record that Nero was a pyromania, a pyromaniac. He would start fires in certain areas of Rome and he would say the Christians did it. The Christians started the fires. He would blame them to the extent that the Roman government would believe him because he was in charge and then they would be persecuted. We thought we would give you that backdrop so it make a little bit more sense why the first 11 chapters of Revelation are dealing with the church and a struggle with sin, with Satan, and with the Roman government, which, by the way, as we mentioned last week in Revelation uh, chapter 2, John will write in verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with the two edges. Verse 13, I know your works, Jesus says, and where you dwell or live, even where Satan's seat is, and you hold fast my name, and you have not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan lives. We told you last week that demon worship did not originate in San Francisco, California, but it started if you will, in Pergamos more than 2,000 years ago. John, by the time we get to Revelation chapter 13, he will mention the man, the beast man, the man beast, and he will use the number 666. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But right now, we want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 1, where John says emphatically, these things must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. John, in verse 2, is the one who carries the record of the word of God. John, in verse 2, is the one who has the testimony of Jesus Christ. John, in verse 2, is the one who the Bible says, and all the things that he saw. Interesting word in the Greek. It literally means that John had experientially witnessed 
He saw the things from the visionary, from the appearances coming to him right and left, up and down, straight and forward, backwards and across. John says, I have this record of God from the word of God. I have this testimony of Jesus Christ and I have these of everything that I saw. May I ask a question to you good listeners? Who would have a better understanding? Who would have a better comprehension? Who would have a better knowledge of the book of Revelation than those Christians who John was writing to in terms of clarifying what was going on in the chaos, the conflict, and the confusion of their day? Who would have a better recollection who would have a better reference than John who carries the word of God given to him directly by the angel from Jesus Christ from God. John is writing and he says in verse three, blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy. This is a prophetic book. We said last week, there are at least four things left to happen before it's all over. Number one, the second coming of Christ. Number two, the end of the world. Number three, the resurrection of the dead. And number four, the final judgment. John says, blessed is he that reads. The blessing is in reading the word of God. But the blessing is not only in reading the word of God, the blessing it is in keeping the word of God. Notice verse three, observe. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Notice the Christians would be blessed who were suffering under the persecution when they read and when they heard, heard or hearing meaning they listened to it and they kept. The application for you and I of that passage of scripture in verse three is that we must read the word of God, keep on reading. We must hear the word of God, keep on listening to it. And we must keep the word of God in our hearts and keep on doing what he said. It's interesting that in Revelation chapter one and verse three, this is one of the first, what we would call the Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. Matthew 5 and starting at verse 1 going down to about verse number 13 has what we call Jesus's Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. Well, it shows the continuity. It shows the consistency. It shows, if you will, the collaboration of the scriptures that here in the book of Revelation, there are seven Beatitudes. This is the first one. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written therein for the time is at hand. The second one is in Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are they that die in the Lord. Yes, henceforth saith the spirit, they rest from their labors and their works do follow them. The third one is in Revelation 16, 15. We'll just read the first part of these. Blessed is he that watcheth. The fourth one is in Revelation uh, chapter 19 and verse number nine. It says, blessed are they 
which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. The fifth one is in Revelation uh, chapter 20 and verse 6. Blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection. The sixth one is in Revelation 22 and verse 7. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this book. And number seven is in Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Those are the seven beatitudes of the book of Revelation, and we hope you got those. All of those give the Christians the blessed hope from the Lord Jesus Christ. John, again, emphasizing the time is at hand. What does that mean? That means that it's about to happen. It's nearby. It's close. It is going to happen. While we were on that, we want to mention something else about the seven that is the number. The number seven means completeness or perfection. There are other numbers that are mentioned in Revelation as we overview. The number two, we will see, it represents double strength or confirmation. The number three, we'll see in the book of Revelation, it is a representation, identifies the deity of the Godhead. The number four is the number of the world, if you will, identifying the north, the south, and the east, and the west. The number five is the number of mankind. We have five fingers. We have five toes on each hand, on each foot. The number six is an evil number. It is like the number 13 in the Western world. We will see that John takes the six to the highest potency when he names that man slash beast, that beast slash man. 666. The number seven, once again, is the completeness and the perfection of God. Now, though it is not mentioned often, but the number eight means very, very good in a writing called the Sibylline Oracles. Now, that writing identifies uh, what we pick up in the last part of Genesis chapter one. When God had finished his creation, he said it was good and very good. The number 10 represents the kingdoms of this world. You will see when we get to Revelation, the chapter 10 and 11 and 12 and so on, that there will be kingdoms that are identified. When we get to chapter 13, the beasts will have 10 horns, and 10 crowns. And then the number 12, it is a multiple of four. And four, the number of the world. Three, the number of the Godhead. Four times three is 12 equaling, if you will, the multiple of mankind, if you will, mankind, Godhead, and the world. These are some of the numbers that give way and give rise in the book of Revelation. And these are some of the things we need to just have a little bit more understanding about. So as we get into the book shortly, it'll make a lot more sense, the message for the saints then, and how we are to use and apply Revelation today. May I say one more thing about the number seven, because it is certainly paramount and is very pervasive in the book of Revelation. John will write in Revelation chapter one and verse four, as we will see in a moment, there are seven spirits. In Revelation 1, 16, there are seven stars. In Revelation four, five, there are seven lampstands. 
In Revelation 5.1, there are seven seals. In Revelation 5.6, there are seven horns. In Revelation 5, in verse 6, there are seven eyes. In Revelation 8.2, there are seven angels. In Revelation 8.2, once again, there are seven trumpets. In Revelation 10.3, there are seven thunders. In Revelation 12.3, there are seven heads. In Revelation 12.3, that same verse, there are seven crowns. In Revelation 15, verse 1, there are seven plagues. In Revelation 15, 1, there are seven, if you will, plagues. In Revelation 17, 1, there are seven vials or bowls. In Revelation 17 and verse 9, there are seven mountains. And then in Revelation 17, 10, there are seven kings. The number seven is used all throughout the book of Revelation to identify the completeness of something that God wanted to reach its fullness. We're going to read verse 4, and then in our next study, we're going to get into at least the first part of the description of how Jesus has to come, that is, in the vision uh, to John to walk right in the middle of the churches of Christ that are suffering under the hand of this emperor who's persecuting them to remind them that he is king of kings and lord of lords. The Bible says in verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Today that geographical turf would be Turkey. It's Asia Minor. He writes, grace be unto you and peace from him, notice, which is and which was and which is to come. And from, notice, the seven spirits which are before his throne. I find those words not only classical, I find them tremendously spiritual anointed. The Bible says that John is writing to these seven churches of Christ, which we'll see in our next few studies. And John is telling them, all you Christians, we want you to know God's favor, his grace is going to come to you. It's coming to you now. John says his peace because they need peace. They need to be absent or they need to be reassured. They need to be comforted. They need consolation. And it's coming from him, which is. If you notice the order of how John sets it up, he's talking about the present where they are. From him who is first, and them, and then him which was. I'm covering what's going on with you now. I'm covering what went on that led up to this. And I'm going to cover everything that's going to come. And the seven spirits identifies the Holy Spirit in his complete work, his complete unction, his complete function and anointing from the throne of God. With that being said, we want to leave you with the thought that when we get together next time, and please join us. We're going to bring from the text of Revelation chapter 1, John's description of Jesus showing himself to John so he can reveal to the Christians, you don't have to worry. Though you're in struggling, though you're in suffering, though you're in the midst of sinning, you don't have to worry. Jesus is going to rescue you. With that being said, we want to 
close out with prayer before we do. We want to mention that if you're in the area, Chowchilla Church of Christ is located at 701 Trinity Avenue, Chowchilla, California. And our Sunday school Bible study begins at 9 o'clock a.m. Our worship begins at 10 o'clock a.m. And you can certainly join us for both or any of those. Our weekly services, Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock, we have Bible study for all ages. Or if you have questions, you may call us directly at 559-223-1973. Or email us at Christ at gmail.com. Now, join us in closing prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time in the book of Revelation. We thank you that we have been able to at least get some more understanding from the overview as we look at the text, as we look at the history, and as we look at those things that are surrounding all what was going on with our brothers and sisters in the Church of Christ from the past. Help us to learn these lessons so that if these persecutions come again, which they more than likely will, that we'll know how to behave ourselves, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 3 and 15, in the household of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.
fear and death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand.